my name is Gabi. You're listening to the University of Chicago Public Policy Podcasts. I have therefore considered it essential to relieve General MacArthur so that there would be no doubt or confusion as to the real purpose and aim of our policy. On my orders, the United States military has begun strikes against Al-Qaeda terrorist training camps. We must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence by the military-industrial complex. U.S. warships and planes launched the opening salvo of Operation Iraqi Freedom. After years of devastating cuts, we're now rebuilding our military like we never have before. Hello and welcome back to Thank You for Your Service, a hard look at American civil military affairs from the University of Chicago Public Policy Podcasts. I'm Thomas Krasnation. And I'm Nick Pareso. This is the second of the bonus episodes that we recorded this summer. We're currently in the early phases of production for season two of the show, which we're excited to release beginning in November. Today's guest is Maggie Feldman Pilch, the founder of Natsec Girl Squad. Natsec Girl Squad is a startup that provides professional development opportunities for women in the national security field. Maggie joins us today to discuss her organization, gender parity in national security, and issues of diversity in civil military relations. We also geek out about the West Wing and the national security stars she looks up to. Maggie, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. So we and many of our listeners know you, Maggie, as the founder of Natsec Girl Squad, and we want to talk about that in a little bit. First, we were wondering if you could tell us why you first became interested in working in national security. I watched the entirety of The West Wing my senior year of college and was like, hey, I could do that. Seems legit. I mean, I wish I had a better answer for you. That's really it. <laughs> That's funny. So what was there? Uh, tell us about your, I guess, your experiences since leaving college. What what have you done? Why did I stay? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, what have I done versus why have I stayed? Two different oh, sure. questions. Both, both, um, both, yeah. So I moved to D.C. less than 72 hours after finishing my undergraduate degree and really did not have a plan. I didn't even have an apartment. I was staying in a hotel until my apartment was ready because um, someone else was living in it. So I had a pet hedgehog at the time. So I was like this strange child and I had a hotel with a pet hedgehog and it, I think it raised a lot of red flags for people. <laughs> um, and that's fine. But I was an intern at a small think tank called American Security Project and they were very good to me and realized like, wow, she has no relevant academic experience at all. So I went to Wesleyan University in Middletown, Connecticut, which is famous for many things. And I was a university major, meaning I made up my own major. I studied essentially like theoretical economics and vocal performance. So like neither of those things necessarily incline you towards a career in national security and defense, right? But it did think, teach me how to think or helped me become a better thinker, let's put it that way. So um, I was at American Security Project, you know, along with like 11 other interns and we were all writing blog posts mostly and like, I'm a good writer. I have my strong liberal arts background, uh, but I don't love writing. And so I said to the CEO one day, I was like, listen, I can keep writing these blog posts that probably no one cares about, or um, I can be your assistant for free because you don't have one right now. 
And I think he was kind of equal parts flabbergasted and like, this is highly logical, but also what are you doing? So um, his name is General Stephen Cheney. He's a retired Marine Corps one star. And I think he was like, why is this intern like meandering into my office and giving me this like proposition of what she's going to do for me for three months (laughs) when I have no idea who she is? And he was like, well, you're not wrong. Um, So I started out as his assistant and sort of just like never left and ended up getting to work for him and and their whole board. And the rule there was very clear. Um, It's like, you know, work hard, try hard and don't lie. And those are three things I'm very comfortable with. So I had the opportunity to be a part of a lot of different projects. We led a track to to Cuba to meet with the Ministry of Interior and MinRAC's their Ministry of Foreign Affairs, which was like totally bonkers and doesn't make sense for a 23-year-old or 22-year-old at the time to be doing, but we went with it. I started a podcast there. I helped launch their Business Council for American Security, so to kind of engage with the private sector on national security issues. And I started a fellowship program for women in the space. So, and I got to be involved in a lot of different things that they were working on. And I think, you know, it was nothing like what I expected largely because I didn't know what to expect. And I kept looking for, you know, a new job while I was there and never found anything that was nearly as cool. And so I stayed until I started graduate school. And now here we are three years later. So you founded NatSec Girl Squad. Do, do I say yeah. the hashtag as part of it? Is it hashtag NatSec Girl no, Squad? I don't or? have to. Okay. okay. I, I have NatSec Girl Squad tattooed in my ribcage and I opted not to include the hashtag. So you can go either way with it. Okay. Um, <laughs> so can you tell us what that is, what the mission of it is and why it's important? Yeah. So NatSec Girl Squad is kind of a movement for people that care about increasing competent diversity in national security and defense. So we are part professional development community and part social impact consulting company. And those are like a lot of big phrases and everyone's like, that sounds great. I have no idea what you just said to me. (laughs) Uh, So don't feel bad if that's your reaction to me saying all of those words to you. So on the one hand, I mentioned this like movement, right? So on on average, about 15,000 people engage with what we do every month. I'm saying that to you and it is August of 2019. In November of 2018, that number was just shy of 2,000. So it's been a really busy year. So on the professional development side, we do anywhere from four to seven events a month. And those focus, um, like all of our work, are kind of three fairly specific aims. The first is to build expertise among people in our community. The second is to build confidence in that expertise because we know women and what I refer to lovingly as non-pale, male, and stale, so non-PMS people, um, are one, less likely to recognize themselves as experts and two, have their expertise recognized by other people. So we work really hard on helping to build confidence in our own expertise and having other people be confident in our expertise, right? Recognize us as experts, call on us, have them come be on our podcasts kind of thing. Um, And then the third, which is kind of the area I'm most passionate about these days is kind of looking at our existing systems and saying, we don't want to burn all of this down. What can we keep and what should we get rid of? And where are some leverage points to make things better? So everything we do falls into at least one of those buckets, if not all three. Um, So I mentioned we do anywhere from four to seven events a month. And that can be like a few weeks ago, we did like a how to increase and like do a better job on your Intel briefing skills, right? We do hiring info sessions. We do social events. We'll go to SoulCycle. We'll go to Core Power Yoga. We'll go hiking. 
We'll do media trainings. We'll do op-ed trainings. We'll do how do you deal with social media when you're in the IC? We do sessions on how to figure out filling out your um, SF-86. We do really anything. Um, We'll do kind of a small group dinner or lunch or breakfast with someone who has an interesting career and is like willing to sit down with members of our community and talk about it. So there's all of that happening. Um, we also have really cool partnerships with with um, brands like M.M. Lafleur, which is a women's apparel clothing company. And they pretty much only do like workwear and it is all machine washable, which if you're a woman who has a job that requires a certain kind of attire, that is a huge deal because dry cleaning <laughs> is super expensive right. and also rent the runway. And we do a lot of conversations on kind of this intersection of your personal style and your professional life. Um, obviously, our listeners cannot see me. But in addition to Nats at Girl Squad, I am known for having really vibrant pink and purple hair um, and my nail color often matches. And so people are like, how are you in this field? And you look like this, like what's happening? And I'm like, well, you just got to lean into it, friends, which is mostly true. So but that's a really big issue, right, for women in general, particularly women in male dominated fields and particularly in this field. And we've found that members of our community really benefit from you know, a place to work through those issues and not have anyone take them less seriously for it. And then 10 minutes later, they can turn around and go to a session on design thinking. So that's a big part of what we do. And then I also mentioned kind of this social impact consulting side. Um, So we are a for-profit entity. We are not a nonprofit organization. And I'm happy to talk about why that is in a bit, if it's of interest. But we have this really great partnership with Guidehouse, which is a government consulting company. And they've basically brought us on to build NATSEC Girl Squad, the kind of community that we have internally within Guidehouse, and offer those professional development opportunities, things like that, and have it plugged back into the larger NATSEC Girl Squad community and use it as an opportunity to pilot this idea before bringing it into the federal government and trying to build like little baby NAPSEC Girl Squad sleeper cells within (laughs) different agencies. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really love everything about what we do right now. That's the most exciting thing to me because I get to watch it grow so quickly. That that is a lot of information, but that's broadly what we do. Mm -hmm. Just to break it down a little bit more. So as you've watched it grow over the last few years, um, tell what are some of the achievements that you're most proud of? Like, tell us about some of the progress you've made. I'm sure other people would have other answers to this question. Let's see. A few months ago, we were doing an event with Rent the Runway, right? On this professional style, personal style thing. 300 people in the room, and this woman came up to me afterwards. I didn't know who she was, and she was like, "Hey, you sent me a job listing." you know, two months ago, because I sent you my resume five months ago, and I start that job on Monday. And I was like, well, that is cool. Yeah. Um, I'm and because it's been, you know, a few years now, we're starting to see people who came to DC or or entered this field wherever they are, because our members are all over the world, who they came to us when they first started out. And now they're a little bit further along, and they're turning around and hiring other people, or they're mentoring other people. We're seeing more people who are asking more complicated questions. And by that, I mean, they're like, I know that when I walk into a meeting, I should sit at the table and instead of against the wall, how do I amplify what I'm saying and the voices of other, you know, non-PMS people in the room? 
right? So when we started, we were really just trying to convince people to not sit on the wall. Mm -hmm. And so the questions have become a little bit more in depth and require more gaming. um, And that's a really good sign. So I think other, we were on NPR recently, which was like a really cool experience for me on a personal level. I don't, that's not how we define success, but like, you know, I'm a backseat baby, right? I grew up listening to NPR. So getting to see like Lulu Garcia Navarro in the flesh, I was like, wow, this is the coolest day of my whole life. (laughs) Um, But it's really cool to see more and more people know what NATSEC Girl Squad is and have really specific questions or are really eager to engage in a particular way. Like they come to us and they know what they want before Mm -hmm. we're like, this is what we do because they've heard about it before. And what are some of your goals for the future moving forward? I mean, definitely world domination. Um, (laughs) For sure, right? I We're really intentional about saying competent diversity, right? We're not interested in anybody getting anything they don't deserve or anything like that. I'm not interested in quotas. I can't tell you that I'm going to be happy when we have 50-50 or 100 and zero. Like, I don't care about any of that. I think in a perfect world, I would love to see us get to a point where we stop thinking about diversity and inclusion as kind of like these window dressing issues, right? Like I'm really passionate about this because ultimately I have excessive anxiety about so many national security issues while also recognizing that I can't be an expert in all of them. But what I know is that I can trust we have the right people in the room. And so that's what NATSEC Girl Squad is about for me. And I think if when we get to a point, if and when we get to a point where people stop acting as if you know, this is a warm, fuzzy, soft, squishy issue that just makes people feel better. Great. Um, That's not true, though. So I would love for the conversation to kind of shift. To get away from trying to meet certain requirements so that we are quote unquote diverse or quote unquote inclusive. And so the conversation is just more about like whether the right people are in the room, whether the right people have the job. Yeah. I mean, I think you can't tell, like numbers don't tell you the whole story, right? Mm-hmm. They, they never do. I, they tell part of the story. But if you think you can look at a room and count and decide how diverse you are from there, you're doing it wrong. So for our listeners who are interested in getting involved with Natset Girl Squad, how can they do that? Yeah. So the first thing I would say is check out our website, which is shockingly natsetgirlsquad.com. <laughs> um, there's lots of information about how you can join as a member, all of our upcoming events. Our free listserv is there. So we have a Google group that is open to anybody. Of course, we do confirm your identity before you're allowed to access it. Um, and it's like a really great information sharing tool. Um, our annual conference is coming up in December. You can learn more about that on our website as well. And then, of course, it is a hashtag. So if you are a user of social media, and I would say that only about 20% of our community uses social media, which is not a huge surprise when you think about it. You can find us on Twitter and the like, too. And your your logo is a unicorn. Why is it a yeah. unicorn? So when I was working at American Security Project and had the opportunity to work for all of these retired senior military leaders, one of them called me Unicorn Maggie, and it just stuck. And so here we are. Turns out also, I, I am not a colonel in the Marine Corps, but women who are colonels in the Marine Corps are also called unicorns. So I think it's a happy accident. It's really leaning into it, like you said earlier. Yeah, you just got to lean into it. Like, so yeah. this is my thing, right? I think you can have purple hair, you can have the nails, can be who you are, but you have to unequivocally be that, right? 
you can't do it halfway. You have to embrace you know? it. Yeah. You got to like this is you got to really commit, man. So Maggie, you've also been involved in the rollout of this uh, very new organization, the Leadership Council of Women in National Security. Uh, mm -hmm. We were wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that project and how you came to be involved. Um, okay, let's. I'm going to start with the second part first, mm -hmm. okay? Because I want to make clear, like, I am involved and I am fangirling so hard. They <laughs> asked me to be a part of it, and so I just need everyone to understand that, like. I was asked to be involved and was probably the greatest thing that has ever happened to me, <laughs> but I bear very little slash no responsibility or credit for its actual creation. So mm -hmm. I will talk to you about LC wins from my perspective. How's that? Yeah, sure. Um, so LC wins is if you said to me like, Hey, can you make a list of like the coolest, most of the coolest women in national security, defense and foreign policy, and then like put their faces on a website, this would be that group of women to like, me, right? Who, like who, these are the yeah, people. Are Sorry. Who are those just for our listeners? So, oh man. Okay. There are so many. Um, Tammy Wittes. So Dr. Uh, Tamara Wittes, Corey Shockey, Aaron Simpson, Lauren Schulman, um, Caroline Tess, like pretty much if there was a hall of fame, this would be it. <laughs> and so they very kindly reached out to me and they were like, Hey, would you like to be a part of the steering committee? And I was like, uh, yes, yes, I would. Thank you. Um, I, in between them asking and me responding, there was like a very high pitched pitched scream that happened on my end. Um, and it was probably better that it happened over email and no one had to hear it. But LC wins, um, really looks at an area that's different from not girl squad, but very much connected. So I mentioned to you guys before we started recording, NatSec Girl Squad is nonpartisan and apolitical. And those are really strict rules because, again, like most of our community can't be, they're Hatch Act restricted, right? We can't serve the people that we intend to serve if we are not those things. So we don't have a place, nor is it appropriate for us to be involved in anything political or partisan. And that doesn't just mean, you know, personal opinions. That means like elections, campaigns, things like that. So LC wins, their first kind of order of business was reaching out to, I guess now we have 15 of the current, yes, I think it's 15 of the current candidates for president um, who have committed that at least 50% of their senior national security and defense political appointments will be held by women. So that's a really big deal. LC <laughs> um, Wins also works with what is an incredible group of first time members of Congress that are women that are serving right now who have like fabulous national security backgrounds and helping them kind of be the best they can be, right? So providing them with on-demand briefings, support, information, things like that, and helping them really be a part of the policymaking process in a way that they weren't before. So LC Wins, I think, is looking both at the long term, but also kind of in the, the short, you can't see me because I'm, I'm air quoting, there's no video here. Um, so like the medium term and short term as well is like, these are some benchmarks we need to hit and how can we roll up our sleeves and do so. And I think the women who started this organization recognize, I'll call it star power, right? Like they really know their stuff. Um, they they have incredible careers and they have proven themselves, frankly, like on the world stage, like people know who these women are and, and they mean business. And they have decided 
to use that energy and influence um, to say, hey, you need to do this, right? You you need to commit to gender parity, you, whatever it is. And I think that's really powerful. So I am so excited and still very much fangirling to get to be a part of it. And we have lots of exciting programs. I guess, I mean, it's exciting to me because I'm a huge nerd, right? Like I, there are a few things on this planet I care more about than the interagency process. So the idea of like engaging with members of Congress and helping them be good at their jobs is the greatest thing I've ever heard. So I don't know if like other people will care about that as much as I do, but um, there's a lot of really cool things happening with LC Wins. Is there a particular like gap or area in national security that you think women's voices are particularly needed? All of it. And that's why the gender parity pledge is so important. I mean, I think the gender parity pledge is so important because we live in a world where people can't wrap their minds around progress without them having like a quota attached to it. And that's mm-hmm. personally frustrating to me. Um, And I need people to recognize that parity is a minimum, right? I was having this conversation with somebody yesterday. We had seen a movie and in all of the previews, so the movie we were going to see was pretty much all men, right? But all of the previews, the cast were all women. We were having this conversation as like, are these women empowerment, girl power movies we're seeing in the previews? And I was like, that's a stupid question because just because you see all women in the cast does not inherently make it like a girl power movie. Because every time I see all men in the cast or majority men in the cast, I'm not like, this is a boy power movie, right? Right. That doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. So I think we live in a world where we need some, we need a really clear target. And for some reason we've decided that parity is what we're aiming for when it's really a minimum. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It's something that needs to be built upon. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we get a gold star for like including 50% of the population in 50% of positions. I think that's called like, you know, slightly doing sort of the right thing. And we have to realize that for hundreds, thousands of years, like we've decided that men get to do all the things and not women. And like, that's just not, that's not good for anybody. Mm -hmm. We'll be back after this short break. As China's role grows greater on the global stage, you want to stay up to date on the issues most pressing to China both domestically and internationally. Check out the Just China podcast for in-depth analysis on recent headlines and investigative reports on Chinese matters that affect our globalized world. We are Just China. Find us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcast listening. So we've discussed at length about the national security field in general. I want to turn our focus right now to the U.S. military specifically. What do you think uh, the American military could do to better build diversity, to elevate women's experiences and perspectives? What are some important topics that military leaders need to be thinking about? So these are three totally separate questions, but I understand why you've asked them in succession. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm going to ask you some questions so that I can better answer these, if that's okay. Okay. Okay, so I think this is really tricky, right? Like, what can we do to increase what I'm going to call competent diversity in the U.S. armed forces is different than amplifying women's voices. Can we agree there? Yes. It's not the same, right? Okay, so this, and that sort of is like your first and second question, right? I want to make sure I'm understanding properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so I think diversity is much bigger than gender. Obviously, gender mm-hmm. plays a role. There's this really cool place called the Krulak Center 
at Marine Corps University in Quantico. Um, and I think their full name is like the Brute Krulak Center for Creative Thinking and Innovation or something. I don't totally understand what they do, but they're great. They're one. They're run by um, a wonderful woman, a colonel in the Marine Corps, so a unicorn named Valerie Jackson. And they're sort of just looking at like, how do we try things out, right? How do we do things differently? Sometimes just for the sake of doing them differently, just to see, do we get a different outcome? I think that kind of conversation, that kind of thought is really healthy. My academic background and and kind of how I've made my way in national security is really from like a civ mill perspective. I'm really interested particularly in how the origin stories of the different services impact how they move through the world. So how they kind of run their policy making processes, how they engage with one another and how it supports or maybe hinders their mission. Mm -hmm. um, so you guys are both Navy guys and we know the Navy really loves tradition and there's like pretty much no way to better make that clear than like having the academy, like the, the academy is built around the crypt of John Paul Jones, right? Like right. unclear if it's actually John Paul Jones in there, but we're going to say it is, right? I mean, are we, are you, you agree with me? Like you see kind of where I'm going? Like yeah. there's an obsession with how we've done things and like, just because it's how we've done things, that's the answer to how we're going to do them. That is a really unhealthy way of approaching the world. And I'm not saying that we get away from tradition completely because that's silly. But I think the first step to competent diversity, to amplifying and including women's voices, is to stop thinking about them as different, right? Mm -hmm. A woman is not a woman in the military. She's just in the military, right? You don't have a female Marine. For, don't even get me started on the use of the word female instead of women or girl, like whatever. Right. They're just Marines. She's just a Marine, right, exactly. And I promise you that women who enlist in the Marines or become officers in the Marines, they certainly didn't do it to be called, to be singled out and be called like a woman Marine, just a Marine, right? Recognizing that their experience is different, but still just a Marine. So I think it's really important that we start from the very basic level of like, why do we do the things we do, even if we think we know the answer? Does that make sense and sort of answer your first and second questions? Yes. Okay, can you remind me what your third and fourth questions were? Because I totally got distracted. Uh, it was just what important topics military leaders need to be thinking about. Oh, but all I of guess, them. Right. Every <laughs> single topic. Not, there is not, like, every, yeah, all of them. <laughs> yeah, we're, I mean, I guess the question is more like, what, do you, do you see any, like, in your interactions with military people specifically, have you noticed any, like, blind spots or just areas where maybe they're, especially deficient in their abilities to think about a certain, you know. That's very deficient. So are you asking me like, are there things the military is bad at because it's the military? Yeah. I think that's a hard question to answer. I think that there's a popular answer to that question. I think it would be easy for me to be like, yes, and list out a bunch of ideas. But as someone who does this day in and day out and spends a lot of time with like federal law enforcement and other federal agencies, like, the culture within the military and the different services is unique, but so is the culture at Secret Service, so is the culture at FBI, so, you know, at DIA, at CIA, at NSA. Mm -hmm. Everybody has their own culture. Everybody has their own take on the mission. And so everybody has their own struggles or their own flavor of struggles, but it's still generally the same thing. There is nothing particularly deficient about the military as compared to other parts of our national security and defense apparatus. I think there are things that the struggle is different in each place. And I think 
we will be in a better place to have these conversations and more importantly, do something about it when we stop kind of assuming that the military is in a very different place than anywhere else in this apparatus. Does that make sense? And mm-hmm. I'm not, this is not me saying the military gets off the hook easy. Mm-hmm. It's sort of the opposite of that. They don't get, nobody gets to be special. We are all in this together. Right. <laughs> so you mentioned that a lot of the way you approach these, uh, these topics is through a civil lens. We were yeah. wondering what you think of the current state of civil military relations in America. <laughs> oh God. Okay. <laughs> um, I stress out about it so much. You guys, I spend so much time thinking about it. Um, it's probably really irritating to the people who spend time with me in the flesh because they're like, listen, you can only read masks of war so many times. Like then you've got to put it down and just take a deep breath. I think like at the macro level, at the micro level, like what social media has done for parts of Civ Mill is super interesting, right? Connecting mili- some military thinkers to some foreign policy thinkers. And I just like watch on the internet. Really interesting. What do I think about the lack of briefings from the Pentagon press room? Not good. Do I hope that changes? Yes. Do I think having more briefings fixes the problem? No. I think we've done some weird things to our military and around our military. Some of that is like on a policy level. For instance, we've decided that, you know, the army should be in state building, which just like, that's a whole other podcast. That's not good from my perspective. I also think the things we do around like the military and the NFL is super weird. Right. Like this is, this is an area I could go on forever. I think it's a mixed bag, right? Everything is a mixed bag. Nothing is ever all good or all bad. I think there's lots of room for improvement in scholarship. How's that? Scholarship in what areas specifically would you say? So I think you can kind of divide it into into three areas. One is how the general U.S. population relates to members of the military, whether they're enlisted or officers. I think how the national security apparatus interacts with one another, particularly civilians and policymakers and the military. And then I think the more broad kind of like who is the leadership of our military and how does that play into who's the leadership of various parts of the national security apparatus and how does that interact with the executive branch. I think those are three very different areas that all get lumped into civ mill. Mm-hmm. And I think you need very different backgrounds and perspectives to address each three of those. I'm more interested in and frankly more able to respond to the last two than the first one. But I think the first one is still really interesting. And someone I know like people talk about, you know, professional sports and the military all the time. And I understand it's great for recruiting, but I would love for someone to write a book on that that I can then listen to as an audiobook. <laughs> so there are a few last things you're really interested in hearing your thoughts about. Um, let's say the year is 2048. It's okay. been a really contentious election cycle. It's been a tough fought campaign on both sides. But okay. finally, that first Tuesday in November rolls around 3 a.m., most precincts are reporting, and CNN anchor Brianna Keeler <laughs> is able to announce that the next president of the United States will be Mackie Feldman Pilch. Oh, God. Who, uh-huh. do, who do you appoint to your national security team? Okay, for uh, pretty much every woman I listed in LC wins. Like, mm-hmm. So I would, for sure, I would appoint uh, Sasha O'Connell as head of my FBI. 
It's not my FBI. It's the DOJ's FBI. I apologize, Quinta right. Jurassic and Ben Wittes. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, Corey Shockey is for sure a national security advisor. I feel like Erin Simpson needs to be in charge of like all of the things. Perhaps she's sec deaf. I think Caroline Tess is definitely like assistant secretary of Western Hem over at state. Um, and we're going to really like dig in on Cuba because that's an area that I spend a lot of time losing sleep over. Lauren Schulman could probably be a really good sec deaf because she loves some good process. Is this entirely too specific? Is this not no, what no, you no, were looking this is, for? No, this is exactly what we were looking for. Oh, okay. I was like, oh, I spent a lot of time thinking about this, <laughs> not because I want to be president at all, but because one of my favorite activities is daydreaming badass jobs for badass women. Like, I just <laughs> think it's super fun. I think Lexi Martin would be a great Secretary of Homeland Security. Do I get to also pick like people to be in in um, the legislative branch, or is that a totally separate? Yeah, election? you you carried them in on your coattails. Okay, great. I would love to see. Gosh, she's gonna kill me for this. Okay, so I want to see Michaela Fogel for sure running Sissy. I would love to see Quinta Jurassic also doing something, but never in a million years would she run for office. Um, so we'd have to find some place to appoint her. Um, she would probably like be the official biographer or like, I don't know, something. <laughs> I don't know who my attorney general would be yet. I have to think about that more. Um, You've got some I time. would like Max Rose to be something too, just mm. for the record. The congressman. Yes, congressman. I love Max Rose. In a totally, we share an alma mater and I'm just, I'm crazy about anyone who runs for Congress because they care about the AUMF. I right. just think that's like the best reason to run for Congress. <laughs> you mentioned earlier, sissy. What is that? Oh, sorry. Um, the Senate Select Intelligence Committee, mm. permanent oh, select, oh, okay. permanent committee on intelligence. Sorry. All right, all right. So, as you know, we're here at the University of Chicago Harris School of Public Policy, and yeah. most of our classmates are planning to go into policymaking of some kind. Based on your experience so far, what advice can you give to young professionals as they enter the job market? What are some things you'd like them to know? Don't be afraid to try things, but ultimately, like, just be honest about who you are and don't be afraid to ask for help. You don't know everything. You can't know everything. One of my biggest pet peeves is young people, and I'm a young person. We don't know, like, nobody knows everything, but it's okay to not be an expert until you are actually an expert, right? So ask for help. Ask for advice. If you don't know what somebody is talking about in a meeting, polite if it's appropriate, politely raise your hand and say, excuse me, I don't know what this is, or talk to somebody after the meeting. Don't fake it. Like there are times to fake it till you make it. There are times to, you know, maybe actually know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, like recognize that no work is beneath you, right? Like come in, roll your sleeves up, get dirty, and be a team player. And just be nice to people. One final question. You said you began your interest in national security after watching all of the West Wing. Yes. Who is your favorite West Wing Leo character? McGarry. You didn't even have to finish that question. <laughs> Leo McGarry. I mean, like, then every time I say Leo McGarry, which is always my gut response, like, then I get into this whole thing about, like, am I internal? Like, is it internalized misogyny that's preventing me from saying Nancy McNally? I don't know. That's a whole other conversation the national security advisor yes national security advisor pretty much the only woman of color Mm. in the early seasons right who you know speaks about anything except for men what about kate (laughs) harper okay so i also really love kate harper 
I'm super into the fact that she was a Republican who voted for Arnold Vinnick and like still stood, stood there and served her country and was like, I'm here to do my job because I love America. Mm-hmm. I'm into that. Um, I think the writing and that portion of the show really went downhill. So she got the short end of the stick there. Yeah, that's true. I, I actually did uh, a little bit of math and I calculated the years through Kate Harper's career. And I found yes. that she actually would have had to graduate with the first class of women from the U.S. Naval Academy. And she was also she was also the top graduate from Annapolis. So that makes her an ultimate badass. Oh, my God. That she is. She I would put her on the Council of Queen Mothers of Not Set Girl Squad for sure. I have a whole hypothesis that Kate Harper is based off of a real person. And I think I know who that person is. I will not say that on this podcast. We'll, we'll DM you afterward to, to hear your thoughts. Yeah, on that. We'll talk about that. Yeah. Well, Maggie, thanks so much for joining us on Thank You for Your Service. It was really great talking to you, and we're looking forward to some of our listeners hopefully getting involved in NatSec Girl Squad and all of your work. Yeah. um, Thank you guys so much for having me. I think it's great that even though you're all the way out in Chicago, you know, you're still doing things. And I, I that's an intentional shot because I did go to Georgetown and, <laughs> you know, got to keep the rivalry alive. <laughs> for sure. All right. <laughs> thank yeah, you, guys. Well, yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for joining us today on Thank You for Your Service. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at TYFYS Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you'll get our next episode as soon as it's released. Thank You for Your Service is produced by Ashwarya Kumar and our publisher is Haas Yano. This podcast is a production of the University of Chicago Public Policy Podcasts and is in no way intended to reflect the official positions of the Department of Defense, or any other military entity. I'm Nick Pareso. And I'm Thomas Krasnation. See you next time.